KSFR programming and podcasts are made possible by the financial support of our listeners. If this program is important to you, please consider making a contribution by clicking on the red Support This Station button at the top of our homepage at ksfr.org. Thanks so much. Welcome to Living from Happiness, where we talk about the art and science of living a meaningful life. I'm Dr. Melanie Harth here on KSFR 101.1 FM. We've got a really interesting guest today, Sylvia Stenitzer. Welcome to Living from Happiness, Sylvia. Thank you, Melanie. Nice to have your smiling face across (laughs) the table here. We're talking about some pretty complex things today, folks, so hang in with us. I promise we'll be laughing together as we define things like... Interpersonal neurobiology and psychodrama as they relate to emotional and psychological healing. I can barely say that phrase myself. As it turns out, laughter and play and spontaneity are essential to the healing process, according to the psychodrama founder Moreno. Sylvia Stenitzer is a licensed professional clinical counselor. She's been exploring the mind-body-soul connection for the past 20 years in her private practice. She holds a certificate in interpersonal neurobiology, somatics and action methods from Southwestern College right here in Santa Fe. She's been teaching classes and presenting at conferences on topics of interpersonal neurobiology and psychodrama since 2005. Sylvia, you're up. What is psychodrama? Oh, what is psychodrama? Um, It sounds very ominous, and (laughs) it really means soul in action. And it comes from the background of theater, theater of spontaneity. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was founded by Jacob Moreno at the turn of the last century in Vienna. Vienna. And that's where I come from. I come from Austria. Mm -hmm. And uh, but basically psychodrama is an experiential dynamic group process. Okay. And what might that look like if I'm doing psychodrama? What am I doing? If you're doing psychodrama, you let yourself be guided by your body and by by putting internal states into action, concretize them in the here and now on the outside. Meaning if I'm sad or angry or happy, if I'm feeling something, right. I would act that out yes. in effect using my body. I wouldn't just sit in a chair and talk about right. it. Right. It's an enactment, an which is uh, very, very powerful as we know now, which these guys, Moreno, even you know Freud and Jung knew in the turn of the last century that our that we learn through the senses, that we have a lot of uh, unconscious memory stored in the body. So by reenacting, by acting through the body, we can access different truths. We, we, we discover new things about ourselves. And is that in part because the intellectual thinking mind of the ego is so powerful that we can think ourselves into almost any story, which has 
nothing to do with what's actually going on. If we can circumvent, if we can get around that ego, the thinking mind, and there's so many different ways to do that. Yes. Psychodrama is one of those ways. Exactly. It's one of the ways. It's a very, in my opinion, holistic mm-hmm. way. What do you mean by holistic? Holistic, it does. Um, it, it it addresses, when you do a psychodrama, it is... Um, Ah, I feel it's a revelation for for everybody who is involved, but it it really involves the emotional, mm-hmm. the intellectual, the sensual, the sensory, which is so important capacities of uh, us as humans, and so. It engages the left brain, which is the logical, linear, making sense mm-hmm. uh, part of our brain, and the right brain, which is the body wisdom, which is through the right brain, we, uh, the right brain processes the felt sense of who we are, subjective reality. All right, and that's a, I know that's a big mouthful right there. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it, and hopefully in our discussions as we go on through the show today, that will make more sense yes. as we talk about it. One of the things that either you said or you quoted yesterday when we were talking is that the body remembers what the mind forgets, and you were talking about implicit memory. What is implicit memory? Yes. Um, the body remembers what the mind forgets. Um, when we are born, we have um, our brain is not developed. The only fully developed part is the brain stem, and of course, our structures are present. But so to speak, the hardware is there, but the software is coming online mm-hmm. as we grow up. That's a great analogy. Yes. The hardware is in place, but the software is still being yes. developed. And in fact, the brain does not complete its development just in terms of normal development until about age 25. Yes. And brain plasticity, mm-hmm. neuroplasticity, we now know from Mm -hmm. this branch of science that the brain retains its ability to learn new information throughout the course of a lifetime. Absolutely right. And Melanie, just for a moment, uh, maybe I go back for our listeners uh, about interpersonal neurobiology and the implicit, you know, just to put it uh, to finish our question here. So interpersonal neurobiology, as Melanie says, is quite a mouthful. Yes. I am teaching it for many years and I often have a hard time pronouncing it. (laughs) (laughs) I have to take a breath and move very slowly. Slowly, or yes. I'm not going to get it all out. Yes, yes. it is. It's a descriptive uh, term, as you said yesterday, and it is a relatively new science and approach that draws on traditions of uh, very old traditions, ancient traditions such as uh, practicing meditation, mindfulness, loving kindness, and compassion. Which come from out of the the Buddhism schools. Exactly, Buddhism schools. And also, you know, just really being um, even the Vedas, I would say. But, you know, ancient traditions, even yoga. The Vedas are from the the Indian, the Hindu cosmology. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I think that Daniel Siegel, who was one of the founders, is mainly... um, coming from the Buddhist tradition. Yes, he so, does. Yes. I think he does have a, a long yeah. tradition with Buddhism himself. Right. He uses a lot of mindfulness. Right. He is 
by the way, he's clinical professor professor of psychiatry at UCLA. He's founder of the Mindsight Institute, and he's author of a bunch of books. I often quote him on this show. And in fact, one of our December guests, Amy McConnell-Franklin, just gave a shout out for Daniel Siegel's newest book on the adolescent brain. Yes. So he knows what he's, you're making this great. Do you know that? Have you read the book? No, but I thought about the adolescent brain. (laughs) (laughs) The adolescent brain is its own animal, isn't it? And we're not talking about that today. we are not. (laughs) But it'd be great to do a show on it. But Daniel, Siegel has a lot of scientific credentials. Yes. He's on the cutting edge of all of this new data about neuropsychology and neuroscience. Yes. So what used to be considered woo-woo, or as some of my New York friends say, crystal, Ah, or crystal mama, the science is now proving what ancients have known for thousands of years. And that's really so exciting. I feel it's not a matter of belief or as you said, um, such for like New Age or people who live in a La La Land. In Santa Fe, yes. Yes, (laughs) for example. (laughs) No, it is now proven by hardcore neuroscientific research. So these, it's like, if you want spirituality and science uh, coming together and have the same language. Yes, yes, which is fascinating, although I don't know a lot of neuroscience. No. Neuroscientists who use the word spiritual. Yes. But I want to go back. First of all, let's finish the sentence or the paragraph about implicit memory and then go to a definition of interpersonal neurobiology and how that connects with psychodrama. Right. (gasps) Deep breath. Yes. (laughs) And we have to engage the left brain here to keep on track. Yes. So implicit memory first. What is that? Okay. So implicit memory, uh, in my opinion uh, really refers to the unconscious, the notion of the unconscious that was uh, really researched in a different way in the turn of the last century. Now, implicit memory refers to a process that our brain uh, does until we are 18 months old. So our brain has the capacity to store memories, of course, but in the first months of our lives until about 18 months, even two years old, the brain can only do this implicitly through the amygdala. Because the software is still being developed. Yes, there is no other way. There's no other place to put it. To put it, the other way to have explicit memory, that means that we have an awareness of factual memory and autobiographical memory, comes online, um, starts with two years old, three, and is not finished until we are five years old. And the place where this happens is called the hippocampus. And these are all parts of our limbic system, which is the emotional center of our brain. Which is the oldest part of our brain, let's say the computer of our brain. Yeah, the oldest part maybe is the the brain stem and then next is the limbic system. And uh, to one, to complete the implicit memory, question is that implicit memories are stored, our experiences as babies, we have no language, remember, it's pre-verbal, are stored implicitly through the amygdala as sensations, emotions, thought patterns, images in the body. They are held in the body. Excellent. That's excellent. Good. Interpersonal neurobiology. What is that in hmm, 10 seconds? One, two, yeah. three, go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did start out that with the interpersonal neurobiology put into life by Daniel Siegel and Alan Shore, 
um, is a approach, interdisciplinary approach to promote personal well-being and interpersonal well-being. Between you and I. It's yes. interpersonal Personal. between people yes. and how our, our interactions with each other shape our brains, shape who we are. Yes, is that okay that I finished just? Yes, that, oh no, it's perfect. <laughs> okay. yes. uh, I'm going to read a little bit of a quote here written by Dr. Mona Fishbane that I found. It's a terrific article. I found it on goodtherapy.com. It's the explanation of how habits are formed in the brain. Everything we do, feel, or think is reflected in circuits of neurons in our brains. Neurons or brain cells communicate with each other at a gap, which is called the synapse. One neuron releases chemicals, neurotransmitters, into the synaptic space where it is picked up by the receptors of the next neuron. There are billions of neurons in the human brain. Each neuron connects with up to 10,000 other neurons, resulting in trillions of synaptic connections. These interconnected neurons become the circuits that underlie our habits. The more we do something, eat nuts while watching TV, ride a bike, play an instrument, the stronger the neuronal circuit becomes that supports that habit. Sylvia, does this help us understand how we can use our brains to continue cultivating that sense of well-being that Dr. Martin Seligman defines as happiness? Yes, absolutely. I think that uh, our brain, I want to just make one disclaimer. I, we are not here to simplify this so incredibly complex uh, system that our brain is. But I think it's really important, we all have a brain, to understand the basic functions uh, that really determine or they, they make us feel and think and behave we do. It's the neurons. It's the connection in yeah. our brain. Uh, and that repeated behaviors, yes. which we begin developing from a, a very young age, yes. so young that we don't remember it. These can really trip us up as right. we become adults. And the whole point of this is that now that we understand better how the brain works, we can redo yes. some of that early conditioning. We need to take a quick break, even though I don't want to. <laughs> I'm Dr. Melanie Harth. This is Living from Happiness. Sylvia Stenitzer and I will be right back talking about all sorts of interesting ideas. KSFR programming and podcasts are made possible by the financial support of our listeners. If this program is important to you, please consider making a contribution by clicking on the red Support This Station button at the top of our homepage at ksfr.org. Thanks so much. I'm Dr. Melanie Harth. This is Living from Happiness. Remember, you can download all the previous shows and listen anytime from the station's website at ksfr.org. Sylvia Stenitzer. Well, my gosh, we've got so many things going on here. One of the things, though, that I think is important to touch on is who you are, where you grew up, and what brought you to Santa Fe and why this work matters to you, because it inevitably feeds into the conversation we're having today. So where are you? You mentioned you're from Austria. Yes, I, I'm from Austria, and I came to beautiful Santa Fe 26 years ago. Oh, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. A long time ago. And I, I had a, a one thought on the way here. I thought, how would I say that in a short, poignant way? So I, what, what I want to say is that I was able to um, follow the flow of life. I think 
coming here was a sole invention. <laughs> it was not a conscious decision. It happened. Sounds you were very mysterious. But you were called to be here. I you was called to leave the place where I was mm -hmm. because I, where I lived in Austria, my parents had two hotels, and as the firstborn in Austria in these uh, small family businesses, you are destined and de and you know you're expected expected to. to take over the family business, uh -huh. and if you don't do that, it makes you really. A bad person, basically. Yes, yes. You, it's a, you're you have not a chara character flaw. Yes, there's something wrong with you. There's you're not doing what you. you're supposed to do. But you didn't want to run two hotels in no, Austria. Exactly. And so you were looking around, thinking, "What? What, what am I going to well, do?" I was, you know, I have to say, and it's so interesting. We are on this beautiful program with living with happiness. Yes. And I want to really say that that before, for me, the happiness could unfold deeply, fully. I went through a lot of pain, yes. psychological pain, uh, despair, hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And I think these um, very strong and often regarded negative mm -hmm. emotions actually helped me to make a change. How so? To say, is this, will I submit to the cultural and uh, social and also from my family, who I love very much, yes. um, doctrines, dogmas, yes. how yes. it has to be, mm -hmm. or do I have the strength to stand up to that? And that was really one of the most difficult decisions in my life, to leave my family in order to live my life. Yes. And that brought you yes. through, I'm sure, a, another, a whole other show's worth of talking about you ended up in Santa Fe. Yeah. You've been here for a really long time. Yes. And you've been studying interpersonal neurobiology. Yes. I mean, and using psychodrama with your clients in groups. You've been teaching about these things for several years. Yes. And much of it, or all of it, in, is based on your own personal experiences of having really suffered. I would say that, And yes. looking for a better way, a, a way out, a better way to be, to feel, to live. Right. Because th it mattered so much to you. Yeah. And because you've done that, you've come through it, you understand that it is possible for folks. Yes. And I think that's why I'm so excited about interpersonal neurobiology yes. and the ideas of, of psychodrama mm -hmm. and the fact that we can't think our way out mm -hmm. of, a t as you could not think your way out of running those hotels, you could to a certain extent, and then you had to take action. Right. You had to try some things. And in doing those experiments, those explorations, you were actually beginning to lay down new neuronal pathways. Yes. Talk about that. And I wanted, I wanted to, it's hard not to interrupt you because no, no, I'm so interrupt. excited. Oh, please interrupt. But when we say talking about the quote you just read, um, uh, interrupting or breaking with habits, I mean, that was a huge um, push towards breaking in family patterns, generational, intergenerational ways of living, belief systems. Yes. Uh, and it is possible, and it takes a lot of effort, I think, and I'm sure that a lot of people can relate to my experience. Yes. Uh, but once, once we are on that way of finding our own voice, our own body, our own intuition, things really, is my experience, open up. Yes. Well, and here's, a, here's a, another paragraph from that very same article by Dr. Mona Fishbone, Fishbane. 
Scientists have shown that experience changes the connection yes. between neurons. Everything you do changes your brain. If I continue my nightly TV with nuts ritual, that habit will become wired into my neuronal circuits. My behavior will change the structure of my brain. This is a rather sobering thought. From this perspective, you are what you do. And the more you do something, however, the more likely you are to do it in the future. The habit-driven brain doesn't distinguish between good and problematic behaviors. It just builds repeated behaviors, thoughts, and feelings into stronger and stronger neuronal circuits. Go ahead. Again, I love your quotes that you bring here. It makes it very easy for me. And I want to tie it back to the implicit. Yes. When you talk about habits, like when you mentioned the TV and eating the nuts, that is often already a consequence of some implicit experience. Um, in where, those first 18 months? Yes, in the first 18 months where we formed, this is the time where our sense of self, the world and how relationships work are being formed. This is the, one of the most, I mean, it's the most formative times in our lives. And then comes another big neural growth in adolescence again. Yes. But the first 18 months are really you know, say, I am, the world is a good place. I am safe here or yes. not. Yes. And so the, the behavior later is often a consequence. And so for me, it's so important to, or so worth it to explore again through the body, yes. through action. And then we integrate it, of course, in the left brain and in the middle because prefrontal cortex. those early implicit memories, the, the, the things that are really the building blocks yes. of our adult behaviors until we slow down long enough to go, wait a second, I don't want to run the two hotels in Austria. And I don't know quite how to get out of it. I remember when I first walked into my very first uh, mindfulness meditation class down in Albuquerque with Michelle Duvall. Thank you, Michelle. I raised my hand. She said, you know, why are you here? And I said, I hate my life. I was so miserable that I was willing to do anything to change it. So, of course, I go to meditation class. You know, we never do it when it's easy and it feels good. I, at least I don't. I think that's part of human nature. Yes. I mean, there's well, been written about a, a lot. whole literature yes. about, uh, about human suffering. But um, those early implicit memories yes. can uh, do yes. drive our behaviors yes. until we stop long enough and, yes. and use a tool such as psychodrama yes. or learn mm-hmm. about interpersonal neurobiology. Mm-hmm. And we can begin changing those old patterns. I think it's a great cosmic joke. Yes. The, the great whatever, whoever it was, wherever all this implicit stuff comes from, that we have no conscious memories of the things that really drive our being. It, right. it makes me crazy. It is. It is. Uh, I I cannot agree more with you. And I was looking into your beautiful blue eyes, and sometimes I forget what I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you mentioned the psychodrama and the interpersonal neurobiology, and I need to give credit to a woman here in town, and her name is Kate Cook, yes. who is my um, was or ha- is still my psychodrama teacher, mentor. Yes. It's a, a very creative method and you can never really be done with learning. And doesn't she run the Interpersonal Neurobiology Certificated Program at Southwestern College? Yes. I I don't know her, but I've seen her work. Right. And what she's doing is really terrific. It is amazing. We have, we have, yes, so thank you, Kate Cook, and I'm sorry Mm -hmm. to interrupt you. Please interrupt me because we're beginning to get to the end of the show already. We need an hour today, I know. (laughs) 
I'm going to switch gears a little bit. As you and I were talking before the show, Sylvia Stenitzer, you talked about the importance of self-love and how it helps us stay open to others. And I read a quote just this morning from Thich Nhat Hanh, who is the revered Vietnamese Buddhist teacher. And he has a word he uses to describe what is, in effect, interpersonal neurobiology. And his word is interbeing. And in his book about how to love, which is also the title, he says, when we feed and support our own happiness, we are nourishing our ability to love. And that's why to love someone means to learn the art of nourishing our own happiness. And if our own parents didn't love and understand each other, how are we to know what love looks like? If we have happy parents, we have received the richest inheritance of all. And if we have not had happy parents, I did not. Love your mom, love your dad. Right. But we can use what neuroscience is teaching us mm-hmm. about interpersonal neurobiology. And you were talking about the importance of self-love. Yes. Let's, let's go toward the end of the show about that. Can you talk about that? Yes. Well, thank you, Melanie. This, this quote gave me the goosebumps, really. <laughs> it sounds also... Um, you know, really, self-love, I feel, is, for me in my life, what um, I was not told or shown. Who's ever taught that? Yes. We consider it, uh, people to be selfish, self-centered. Yes, there is this misconcept, kind of, yes. right, of self-indulgent versus self-love. And I, I want to, I have to say one thing to that also, we have to mention the word attachment theory. Okay. Interpersonal neurobiology cannot totally be explained without attachment theory. And you brought that up, that your parents were not happy and could not teach you self-love. And this was true from, from in my life. And so, um, again, it comes back to the first very early time in our life where we have our caregiver, usually it's, it is the mother, um, through looking into her eyes, we experience who we are. We have nothing else. Our brain, remember, cannot think yet. We are not even separated. Um, so that said with, with um, happy parents. And so then I feel we have the whole life the chance to, to cultivate self-love, self-awareness, self-knowledge in relationship. We cannot do it alone. What is that wonderful a quote from someone you mentioned yesterday, the smallest that possible. That is Jacob Moreno. What is that? What is that quote? The founder of psychodrama, and he says the smallest unit of a human is two. The smallest unit of, of being human, human is, is two. two. It is not one. I think that's revolutionary, and I think it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Let me just quickly say that I just got the idea that or the thought that how we attach is re- as as babies is really how we are taught to love yes and that's really the foundation of everything we're talking about today and we are going to need to leave it there amazingly enough as we begin to wrap up the show Sylvia you've got a very personal sort of mission statement do you remember the first paragraph? Yes. Here? Can you? Oh, yeah. Would you please share that with us? Okay, I will. Thank you for that. And then I wanted to um, something. Okay, I'm saying this. So um, in my ideal world, everybody would be engaging in conscious self-exploration and personal growth. I'm thinking of really starting at school, having 
I have, I'm giving her this. I have hurry to. Up. I have to hurry up. You have to wrap so it up. So everybody in my ideal world would be given the opportunity to heal trauma, mm. to deal with loss and grief, and to tackle obstacles that prevent a life of vitality, personal well-being, and meaningful relationships with the help of each other. We need each other. Yes. That's another interpersonal neurobiology uh, mantra: is that we heal and grow in relationship. Yes. Perfect. It's an illusion Thank to be you. alone. Well, we aren't alone. Thank you. Sorry to cut you off. That's fine. <laughs> the station's going to cut us off in a second. Yes. Where can people find you, Sylvia Stenitzer? Oh, uh, I have uh, an email address. Mm-hmm. It's my name. It's Sylvia Stenitzer. It's a hard name. It's with an I, S-I-L-V-I-A. S-T-E-N-I-T-Z-E-R at gmail.com. I'm working on a website. I don't have it yet. And um, I don't know if you want to call me. Send Sylvia an email, or you can also forward uh, direct questions to Sylvia through me yes. at the station yes. to happiness at ksfr.org. The Happiness Book of the Week is Thich Nhat Hanh's How to Love or Anything by Dr. Daniel Siegel, including his free videos on YouTube. Also, Gretchen Rubin's latest book is called Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives. You can find all these resources and books on my website, melaniehearth.com. The Happiness Practice of the Week. Look for it on my website. Questions and comments about the show, send them along to me at happiness at ksfr.org. I'm doing a Terry Terry Grossing, how fast can I talk? Thanks for the show's music, Jeff Curtis. And as always, thank you for listening, my friends. Here's to your happiness. KSFR programming and podcasts are made possible by the financial support of our listeners. If this program is important to you, please consider making a contribution by clicking on the red Support This Station button at the top of our homepage at ksfr.org. Thanks so much.